Well, welcome to Keys of the Kingdom. I'm Brother Gregory, and uh, we're going to be talking about the kingdom of God, which is at hand, which we are supposed to be seeking. And remember, Jesus gave instructions, actually left instructions for us to seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness. What does his righteousness look like? Uh, is it what we're doing now? Is it what they are telling you to do in your local churches and your congregations and your synagogues and your, your mosques and, uh, uh, temples? Uh, are you seeking righteousness? And if you were seeking it, again, what would that righteousness look like? It would certainly have to involve a certain amount of forgiveness. Uh, because that's something that uh, was essential in the repentance of Jesus Christ. Forgive so that ye may be forgiven. If you do not forgive, neither will my Father forgive you. That's that's bold stuff to say that you're not going to be forgiven if you don't forgive others. Now, of course, I'm sure you've forgiven everybody, right? There's nobody you have left to forgive, right? Actually, there is. There's a lot of people that you have to forgive that you don't even know you need to forgive them. Yet you are operating under a psychosis. And I've been bringing up that word a lot in the last uh, shows. Psychosis, a severe mental disorder. In which thought and emotions, or we could say thought or emotions, are so impaired that uh, contact is lost with your external reality. Now, what, what does contact is lost with your external reality? You become uncomfortable with your external reality. You begin to deny it. You're in denial of your external reality. You do not want to admit that your external reality is what it is. Now, what's your external reality? That's the physical world around you, including your physical body. If you're, if you are losing contact with the reality of your physical body, uh, because of your thinking or your emotions uh, are impairing your ability to be comfortable with the or, or comfortable enough to admit and perceive your external reality. You are by definition suffering from psychosis. So, if you as a nation are doing Something that is causing you to not perceive the reality that what you're doing is bringing you towards, then you are, your nation is suffering from national psychosis. Back when, uh, there was a president, um, Calvin Coolidge, and he could have run for another term, and he chose not to run for another term. Why? Because the people were suffering from psychosis. They were suffering from an emotional 
uh, way of thinking that was causing their perception of their external reality to be impaired. And it was, it was a simple observation. If you could step back from what was going on in the nation at the time, you should be able to see the problem that is being created by the activities of the people in America. Now, not all the people in America, but the people who were investing in the stock market. You could borrow money really cheap. It didn't cost you much interest. Small, you know, 1% interest, half percent interest, very little interest. You could borrow money because money was supply was readily available because they had created something called the Federal Reserve. And that Federal Reserve was taking your reserves and printing money using your reserves as collateral. What's your reserves? I mean, that's your gold, your silver, and other dirt. Gold and silver are dirt. They're just highly refined dirt. Gold is just a dirt. It's just an element that's found in dirt. But if you remove certain parts of the dirt and keep only the gold, then you end up with a gold bar. And so they say that has more value than the dirt that you took out. The same as if you had a bunch of sand, but you had some compost and you move the compost over here onto your garden, that that compost would be of very great value to your garden. It would produce all kinds of fruits and vegetables. If you had very heavy clay soil, you might want to add more of that compost in. You might even want to add some of that sand in so that it would become a better balanced soil. And that that sand would be more valuable. The compost might be more valuable to you. But same as gold might be more valuable. But gold is just dirt. It's just a highly refined, uh, singular in element dirt. But that was your reserve, is your gold, your silver, but also the dirt, the land called America is part of the Federal Reserve because there was some land that was in the hands of the federal government. They didn't really own it, but they were in charge of it and they used it as collateral until 1929 and they ran out of collateral. The federal government had only a certain amount of collateral. And suddenly the money that was so easy to get disappeared. It wasn't so easy to get anymore because you ran out of collateral. Now, people who understood how the system was working, and, and that's it in a nutshell, is that there's a collateral base to the money that they print and loan into circulation. And there's a lot of people who see the value of it, so they borrow that. But basically, you are still on the gold standard, gold and silver standard. So when they had a $20 bill, you could go out and buy an ounce of gold with it. And because it was redeemable in lawful money. And lawful money is like gold and silver. That's lawful money. So all all this money was being loaned into circulation. So people took that money to the stock market. This is one of the things they did with it. And they bought stocks with it. They might buy a hundred shares of some particular con- company that had stock on the stock market. And 
because there was so much money available, there were lots of people taking money and going and investing it in stocks. And stocks were going up at 3, 4, 5, 6%, sometimes 10%, 20%. Well, you were borrowing the money at 1%. So you could go to the bank and borrow $1,000 and go and buy $1,000 worth of stock. Now you're going to have to pay back $1,100 or $200 or whatever the interest was at that time. And it varied. But the stock was going up at 5 and 10, 15, 20, 30, doubling sometimes in its value. So you could buy $1,000 worth of stock, wait six months, sell off $1,100 worth of stock, pay the interest off from the bank, and still have maybe a thousand dollars worth of stock. So you made a thousand dollars. Or maybe two thousand or three thousand. And in those days you could buy a home for three thousand dollars. Brand new home with furniture in it for three thousand dollars. That was a lot of money. And so a lot of people started doing this. And the more people that started doing it, the faster the stock values went up because they really weren't buying the value of the company but the perceived value of the stock by investors who were looking for something to put this cheap money into. Well, anybody who understands anything about economics would know that this is a bubble that's got to burst. Because people aren't really buying a hundred shares of that company because the company's worth a hundred you know, you know, whatever, you know, the thousand dollars. They're buying it because they think that the value of the stock on the stock market, exclusive of the value of the actual company, is going up. It's going to go up because there's other people coming who want to buy stock. And they're willing to pay, you know, if if, if it was worth a hundred dollars last week and this week is worth a hundred and fifty dollars, they assume that next week it will be worth $200. So they're willing to bid for it. And there's a limited amount of stock. So they'll bid $160, thinking they'll make $40 on it in a week. That's more than they make in wages. And they borrow the money for almost nothing. Well, this snowballs. More and more people started doing this. And people like Calvin Coolidge knew that this was this was crazy. He knew that the... Uh, Things like uh, the Federal Reserve was crazy. He was kind of the Ron Paul of his day. (laughs) But anyway, so he wasn't going to run again because the people would not listen to reason. And why did the people not see the external reality of what was taking place? Because their thought and emotion was impaired by their greed. The desire to make money, they threw caution to the wind, wisdom to the wind, and said, but I can make this money now. But they're not actually making the money. Now, to lesser or greater degrees, because the emotional, there are still people out there investing in stock markets that don't really base the rise of the stock on actual value, but on a perceived a reality that 
it will continue to go up because there's a continued demand. But of course, we we already have a tremendous psychosis influencing our thinking because we actually think that a paper dollar bill has value. Even though on the Federal Reserve website, they tell you, you know, people like Volcker had said it before, that Federal Reserve notes have no value. Because they aren't redeemable in lawful money anymore. The ones they're printing now are not redeemable in lawful money. So they're, they're just what you think they are. And you're all psychotic. <laughs> so, you know, I mean, like if you were a crazy person <laughs> in, in a mental institution, you would not value your opinion, the, the opinion of that crazy person. And... uh the the reality is is that you cannot perceive the fact that your money is not worth anything. And right now, the reason U.S. dollars seem to be worth more than they really are, part of the reason is because oil was monetized in dollars. Kissinger set that up years ago. He wanted all the major oil-rich company, countries to monetize their oil in dollars. If you wanted to buy from Saudi Arabia or any of these oil-rich countries, you had to buy, you know, like Iraq, you had to buy in U.S. dollars. So, Germany buys a lot of oil from places like Iraq. We don't in America. But Germany needed U.S. dollars. So, Germany produced products and they sold them to the United States, and they got U.S. dollars, and they went and bought oil with it. But when Saddam Hussein said, I'm going to now monetize my oil in euros, I will take euros. I don't need to take dollars. Well, that meant that Germany would not need to buy dollars. And they probably still would, because they would still be selling to America, but they weren't to be dependent upon it. So it would take some of the pressure off the need for dollars and dollars would lose value because the value is not based on the actual value but on supply and demand. And there was a great supply and that was increasing because the U.S. government was funding everything by simply printing more money and selling treasury notes, you know, auctioning them off. Uh to bidders who needed them for making international exchanges. Not because they trusted an American economy, but because the American economy had this tremendous influence because everybody was monetizing commodities like oil in dollars. Well, Libya decided they weren't going to monetize their oil in dollars either, that they were actually going to create, uh, you know, an African currency based on gold. And which they had accumulated a lot of. And of course, that would, that meant the end of Gaddafi. Because just like Saddam Hussein, you can't let these guys do this or it would collapse our economy. Because our economy is based on a psychosis that we don't see the external reality that dollars, paper dollars are not worth anything. It's all a manipulated market. Now, why am I saying all this? What does this have to do with Christianity? Well, Christianity is not a psychosis. Christianity is about the truth. The truth will set you free. 
So you have to see your external reality as it is. And the fact is you don't see your external reality as it is. Because you're all suffering from one degree or another psychosis. Mentally, emotionally, your perception of reality is impaired. So you need to have the truth. Now, are we going to solve American problem by doing away with the Federal Reserve? No. Even an attempt to do away with the Federal Reserve would collapse the economy. Because the economy is held up by this artificial, fake, uh, fiat money system. The reality is that because it's all based on a balloon economy, it will bust eventually. We we see where there's the inflation and deflation and collapses of economies, uh, what we call little uh, glitches where there's dearth in the land. We call them depressions. Or recessions, and that's a better word. They don't like depression. They like the word recession. That's it's much more kind. <laughs> but when you lose everything you have in your home and your business and and everything you think you have, uh, it doesn't really matter whether you call it a recession or a depression. Uh, you still lost everything, and and people have lost everything by the millions. People living in homes ended up in tents. Uh, and, uh, you know, we, we see a little glitches about it in the news, but then we go on and watch what's on tonight. And their lives are destroyed and they have to start over again. But in some cases, it's made people stronger. In some cases, it made them more resentful. Because they don't know how to forgive. The reality is we're all going to get a crash course in forgiveness. Unfortunately, many of us will fail. And we will not continue to seek the righteousness of God. And the more you put it off, the more you do not come together with the purpose of loving one another, not in fear of the external reality, that the system will collapse. The unrighteous mammon will fail. That That's the reality. But that's not what you want to motivate you. It may slap you across the face to wake you up. But your motivation for coming together and starting to learn what a real free society looks like and operates as, which we call, that free society was called the kingdom of God at hand. It was for the living. That was the ultimate intentional community. We have up at Preparing You, uh, Preparing Y-O-U. I always remind people of that. We have an old site, Preparing Letter U, uh, by itself. Um, that The old site is going to go away soon. And we're going to replace it with an updated version. So if anybody has articles on that that they have put there, you know, in the past, they should have transferred it to the new site, preparingyou.com. And that's a wiki site, so it actually should be being created on a regular basis by all the thousands and millions of people out there who care about their neighbor as much as they care about themselves. It's not a blog site. It's a site where you can... Add information that can be helpful to other people to teach them how to be that intentional community.
Becoming an intentional community based on the precepts of Christ is what the Christians called the way. And it was a network of people all across the Roman Empire and beyond that began to learn the ways of Christ. The the ways of Christ is the anointing of Christ. Christ means anointing. The anointing of Jesus is Christ. And the anointing makes you like Christ. Christ is in you. The anointing makes you like Jesus. Where you come together to serve, to love one another, to forgive, and to give life to one another. That's, that is Christ. That is the anointing. That's what needs to be in your heart. That, and you can't want to give to people you will not forgive. And you need to forgive before you give. That's why they call it forgive. <laughs> it's just, you forgive. You let go. You grant grace to others. So that, you know, you, people, people on the, uh, on our website, uh, on the what we call the Google groups, the the network, which are based on geographical areas. So we have some in New York area, and some in California area, and some up here in the Pacific Northwest. And there are different groups that you can join that cover those areas, and that they're created so that you can find other people and start in your area that you can congregate with. Now you can you can join a congregation at a long distance because sometimes there's nobody near you. But the intention of joining a congregation at a long distance is to create a local congregation. To learn the ways of congregating. Learn the way, the way, that's what they call Christianity, of congregating together in free assemblies. That's something you have to learn because you don't know how to do that now. You know how to sign agreements and take oaths and bind yourself and apply for benefits and and uh, you know how to be a socialist. You know, a lot of people are complaining about socialists and socialism and, and I actually have seen people get angry at socialists. Why are you angry at socialists? Forgive them. They know not what they do. You shouldn't be angry at them. I mean, you probably sent your kids to public school. Or your parents did. And that's socialism. Your parents are probably on Social Security. That's socialism. Your neighbors probably had to apply for food stamps and unemployment and and lots of things like that. That's all so- socialism. So don't be surprised if your neighbor is a socialist. Forgive them. They know not what they do. We're going to talk a little bit about that. Uh, uh, and, and some of the things that people are missing in their own personal psychosis when we return to Keys to the Kingdom. Welcome back to Keys of the Kingdom. So, 
what psychosis are you suffering from? Um, the fellow who runs Google, I can't remember his name right offhand. I can kind of remember it, but I'll mispronounce it if I <laughs> try. But uh, Zuckerman or whatever. But uh, he had a meeting recently with a bunch of conservatives because uh, there was a complaint that Google was prejudicial in the way that it was letting certain stories through or emphasizing certain stories. And there was somebody who was nixing conservative stories that worked for Google. and uh, But it's supposed to be based on, you know, uh, uh, some sort of AI criteria that's programmed into it. Of course, hackers are always trying to figure out ways around that so that their stories become the prominent one. And so it's kind of a top secret how they pick the stories and... They're protecting it all the time. But the reality was he was willing to sit down and listen to conservatives, admitting that he is a staunch liberal. And so what is the difference between a liberal and a conservative? Uh, And someone once said that uh, if you're not a liberal when you're young, you have no heart. And if you're not a conservative when you're older, you'll have no, you have no head. And there's a certain truth in that, although I would not want to divide people up into liberal and conservative. The fact is that most of, you know, liberal is usually considered socialist in their approach to things. But the reality is, is that socialism doesn't work. Once you step back far enough to see what socialism does, you realize that it's based on the spirit of covetousness as a functioning system that you're going to take away from those who produce extra and give to those who don't produce enough. You can put all kinds of safeguards in there, but the reality is you're going to cater to people who don't produce or say they can't produce. And the reality is nature, the the, the amazing thing is that most of these uh, liberal socialists also believe in evolution. Well, evolution is the survival of the fittest. And, but socialism is not the survival of the fittest. Capitalism is the survival of the fittest. <laughs> but socialism is, it is not evolutionary. It's not going to produce a greater species. It's going to produce a lazier species or an autocratic species, which is usually what happens. You divide this society into those that control the socialism <laughs> and and those everybody else. Um, and that's how Stalin and Mao Zedong and, and these mass murderers rise to power because they're controlling the purse strings of socialism and the authority that is required when you're going to take away from one class of citizens to give to another. So, if you step back and take a clear look at history of socialism, you realize that it has nothing but destruction in mind for society. Because fundamentally, it's flawed. And and we've given the example of the Jamestown and Plymouth started out as socialist enterprises. And people starved every year. As soon as they went to private property, where you what you produced was yours, which is capitalism, starvation ended. 
Everybody didn't work as hard as they could. There were still people that didn't work as hard. There were still people who didn't produce enough. But those who did produce enough were allowed to share. And of course, they had a tendency to share with those who also tried but just couldn't make the grade. And they knew who they were because they were working alongside of them. They knew who was really being a shirker or lazy or what have you. And they knew who was really a hard worker and just had some bad things happen to them. And they balanced their charity with wisdom and observations. And this is what made America great. Because it created one of the most charitable nations in the history of the world. Not, not only hard workers. I just posted something on the internet of, of showing people who were working. And it was, uh, they, they were amazing skills. Uh, demonstrated in these people who were working, moving everything from a 55-gallon drum across a room with a flick of his wrist to uh, uh, slicing an onion with a evidently razor-sharp knife in your bare hands up in the air. <laughs> Not just slicing it, but dicing it. Uh, but it's tremendous skill, and it's the art of working, and people learn that. And that is the art of society is the art of working. But it isn't the soul of society. The soul of society has to be about compassion and forgiveness. Forgiveness and compassion go hand in hand. And giving, generosity, sacrifice, personal sacrifice for others. This is the soul of society. But if you don't work, you you don't eat, according to Thessalonians. But the reality is, if you don't work, there isn't going to be anything to eat. <laughs> so you have to have a, this combination of hard work and compassion. Somebody uh, on the on one of the groups was talking about the fact that the the controlling nature. This is what you'll find in a socialist state: is everybody wants to control everybody else. They, they're not satisfied with just taking a portion of what you produce. They want to control how you use what you produce. You know, like if you have animals, they want you to have them registered and tagged and, and vaccinated. If you have children, they want them to go to their schools. They want to, they, they want to vaccinate them. They want to, uh, uh, treat them the way they want them to be treated. And, of course, if you send your kids to public school, they have a certain right to decide that. If if you uh, depend upon the government to take care of your elderly, expect, when times are hard, to see a lot of euthanasia. It will come. And already we see that in places like Denmark. Huge amount of euthanasia. You're a useless eater. You got to a certain age. You're not producing anything. Well, then... Let them die. And that's that's the spirit that is growing there. Now, it, there are people in Denmark who fight against that and rush down to the hospital and make sure they don't terminate their parents. But the reality is, once you have terminated your responsibility to take care of your parents, to provide for your parents, and have chosen to covet your neighbor's goods to provide for your parents or your parents have chosen to covet 
their neighbor's goods and the, the goods of their children and their grandchildren so that they can have what they want now, like health care, uh, Medicare, Medicaid, um, uh, Social Security. Because Social Security is not the money that you paid in. That's not what you're taking out. It's the money your children are going to pay in and your grandchildren are going to pay in because it's all based on borrowing. Now, that's just reality. But people have trouble seeing that reality because they're in a psychotic state. They're suffering from psychosis. So, if I'm if I'm going to tickle your ears, I'm going to say that your psychosis is not psychosis. It's natural. It's good. It's wonderful. It's what God intended. Even though all that would be a lie. Because I, it, might, it would be my job to make you feel good about where you're at in your psychosis. It's my job to tell you that you're psychotic. Now, how do I do that? Because the the worst thing to do with somebody who is psychotic is to tell them that they're psychotic. Because you're attacking their delusion. That's the other thing. You don't want to attack their delusion. You know, if I, I tell you that all the money in your bank is worth absolutely nothing and can disappear overnight, uh, not even overnight, in a matter of seconds, and you could be left absolutely destitute. And all the food down in the grocery store could empty, empty out before day breaks tomorrow morning. So there would be nothing in the grocery stores and nothing showing up. And there's only 30 days supply of grain in the world today for worldwide consumption. Might be 30 to 45 days of grain available and worldwide consumption. But of course, if there was any kind of a collapse or shortage, that would even disappear before the 30 days is out because there would be hoarding. And of course, that would give the powers that be the right to come in anybody who have stocked up any food while there was a surplus are now considered criminals and they will be arrested and all their food would be confiscated and they will be trucked off in, you know, wherever, just shot on the spot. Who knows? The reality is that that is a scenario that could happen. But if I were to preach that, then now I'm preaching fear. So I can't be tickling your ears and I can't be just making you afraid because all that is appealing to your emotions which is what's trapped you in your psychosis to begin with. So what do I appeal to? Well, what did Christ appeal to? Seek ye first the kingdom of God. Repent. Change your thinking. That's what repent means. And seek the kingdom of God and His righteousness. How do you seek the kingdom of God and His righteousness? You don't do it by electing people who are going to force you to contribute. You don't do it by electing people who are going to make you great. You do it by changing the way in which you relate to society. Well, most society only wants to relate to you in one way. They want to take from you and give to themselves. You know, Zuckerman wants to take from others. And, you know, he gave a huge amount of money to Planned Parenthood. And I think that's fine. He can do that. That's his right to choose to do that. But most of the people who support Planned Parenthood don't support it with a check. They support it by forcing you to support it. <laughs> that's the way they think. Because they're socialists. See, that's what socialists do. Is they, they force you to pay for your neighbor's abortion. They don't believe in the right to choose. 
If they did, then they wouldn't force, they wouldn't use taxes to support abortion. Because taxes aren't a choice. They're something you have to pay into. So they really, all these people are pro-choice, should say, we're pro-choice. We don't want any government money that is taken by taxation to go to pay for anybody's abortion because we're pro-choice. We think you should have the right to choose to support Planned Parenthood and abortion clinics. And so they would, their favorite charity would be the abortion clinic. They would, they would give money into the abortion clinic. And then I would believe that they were pro-choice because they were choosing to support the people's right to have an abortion. But they aren't pro-choice. They want to take away your right to choose and force you to pay for your neighbor's abortion. But they say they're pro-choice, but they're not. They're the the absolute antithesis of pro-choice. And they get very angry with you if you're pro-life. I mean, they they can get actually violent with you and vice versa. And neither one of those violent approaches is of Christ. Christ said you had to forgive. Forgive them. They know not what they do. A lot of people who have had abortions now wake up and begin to realize that they actually killed a child. And usually for selfish economic reasons. Economic, uh, selfish or economic selfish reasons. Uh, and now they have tremendous guilt. Well, they have to forgive themselves too. And they have to turn around and start giving life to others and that's what congregations are about that's what congregating in the name of Christ is about it's about coming together to give life so every congregation and this is one of the reasons why you should be geographical as much as you can in those you congregate with if you can't be right there you can still contribute because you can send funds to support People who are going out and doing charitable works. Now, obviously there are some charitable works that are pro-kingdom and some that are less pro-kingdom. But you got to start somewhere. The biggest thing is that you have to turn around and start thinking about giving instead of about taking. And not giving to, to build a big fancy building with a great sound system so that you can play music and everybody feel religious. But actually do what religion was, which was to provide for your fellow man. Now certainly you can go out and work at a food kitchen or a shelter or, or, or people who are, you know, in convalescent homes and nobody's visiting. That was one of the things I always thought would be a really good thing. Where the congregation goes and says, you know, just goes to any, pick any convalescent home and say, who never gets visitors here? Who, who is in the most need of being visited? And you're not going to be paying for all their care and all that kind of stuff. But you're going to start the flow of your life and your energy in the direction of giving to somebody else. See, right now, we are in a flood headed for destruction. Because we're in a flood 
headed away from our responsibilities to one another, to love one another. That's a responsibility. And when you don't exercise responsibilities, you lose rights. Everybody thinks you're losing rights because of the contracts and the covenants of the gods and all these kinds of things that I wrote about. And certainly that is a symptom of why you're losing your rights. But the reason you're losing your rights is because you are neglecting your responsibilities. And your responsibility is to love your neighbor as yourself, to fulfill your duty to your fellow man, to be a daily ministration based on faith, hope, and charity in the perfect law of liberty. Because until you do that, you do not deserve to be free. You have no right to be free. You should be under tribute. That is the law of the universe. And I can't set you free. I don't want to set you free, even if I had the power to set you free, until you learn to take back your responsibilities to love your neighbor as yourself. And if your church has no daily ministration that is supplanting the daily ministration of benefactors who exercise authority one over the other, your church is not his church. It is not Christ's church. You can call it the church of Christ, but it is not. It is false. It is a lie. Until you are fulfilling your duty to God and your fellow man, you're not even practicing religion. You're in your head. You're up there in the tree of knowledge thinking you are saved. You are not. And so, this is why you gather together in free assemblies. This is why you do not forsake the gathering together. This is to bear fruit. Not because you will be saved by fruit, but you will be able to repent at many different levels in your own heart and mind and soul when you have to go out and actually forgive them and then give to them who hate you and despise you. This is this is what the kingdom of God and His righteousness looks like. It's people actually fulfilling their responsibilities. Now, Right now, you go out and you help just about anybody. And and there will be exceptions. And when you help them, it will include rebuke. And you can say, well, why haven't you gotten a job? You know, I've actually asked guys, bums on the street. I said, so why aren't you working? And he says, well, it's a lifestyle. You choose not to work? And he says, well, yeah. And I says, well, I choose not to give to you. <laughs> And you should have seen the look on his face. <laughs> uh, you know, uh, and I said, I, I actually went on and said, because that's my lifestyle. <laughs> you know, if he if he had a need and he was struggling and striving to be a blessing to the world around him. But he was just falling short. I would give him a hand up. I would help him. But if he's just going to be lazy, I cannot. The nicest thing I can do is kick him in the rear end. Which is what I did. I didn't physically kick him in the rear end, but I, emotionally I certainly did. <laughs> I said, you guys, you guys have to get up. Get busy. 
Uh, and see, nobody's doing that on welfare. Nobody, I mean, the welfare people don't really do that. So, so it breeds a certain kind of thinking that it is in need of repentance. Repentance, again, is changing the way you think. So anyway, there, we, we're, we'll take a look at a couple other things. You know, I've been talking about this psychosis, which is a, a, a disorder. A mental disorder in which your thoughts and emotions are impairing your ability to perceive your external reality. And, and one of the examples of that is, you know, people like, you know, Bruce Jenner, that's in the news, uh, uh, that has this dysmorphic pathology uh, where he is um, uncomfortable with the actual reality of his sex. He's uncomfortable with that. And we talked about uh, Dr. Hughes, who said uh, it, uh, the treatment of this uh, uncomfortableness with your sexuality, the actual uh, sex of your body, uh, where you feel more comfortable pretending that you're a woman rather than a man or vice versa, he says the treatment should not be directed at the body uh, as with surgery and hormones any more than one treats obesity or fearing anorexic uh, patients with uh, liposuction. Uh, in other words, anorexic, anorexic, anorexic people who are afraid that they're, they're too heavy and they're actually maybe 80 or 90 pounds you don't treat that their psychosis with liposuction or you'll kill them. <laughs> and of course, that's what people do when they give them these operations. Uh, they're 20 times more likely to commit suicide within 10 or 15 years. And we gave those statistics last in the last show. But um, uh, we see a whole trend catering to the psychosis now because... You don't want to confront the person's psychosis. You don't want to confront their delusion. You want to develop trust. And so that they they can let go of that delusion. Because otherwise they just dig in their heels. You know, because they're given over to this other way of thinking. They you know, they can't just help themselves, you know, straighten up, buck up. And that's one of the problems that people have been trying to treat this psychosis by saying just change your thinking when they're actually given over and we explain that in um, in reading from Romans 126 uh, for this cause they are given over to uh, these vile affections or even their women did change the natural use into that which is against nature and likewise also men leaving the natural use of the woman and burned in their lust one toward another. Men with men working that which is unseemly and receiving in themselves that recompense of their error which may was meet. But anyway, they're given over to this thinking. They're, they're absolutely right when they say they can't help themselves. They weren't necessarily born this way. They were changed usually by circumstances. 
uh, although there can be some proclivity in this direction because based upon generational, what we call generational sin, the fact is, is the choice in another area brings them to the point where they're the LGBTQ uh, task force of the nation. And uh, because they are given over and they have this common spirit controlling their thinking so that they do not perceive the reality of their being. And they can't see why they're thinking this way. They just can't see it. So we don't hate them because they can't see something. I mean, you don't hate a person because they're blind. But you have to realize that they're blind and you can't just let them go anywhere they want or they'll end up walking in front of a train or something. You have to protect them. Uh, because you have to forgive them, for they know not what they do, and you have to love them, even if they want to be your enemy. So anyway, we're going to talk more about exactly some specifics on this when we come back to Keys of the Kingdom. Next. Until then, peace on your house. You have been listening to The Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. For more information on the educational ministry provided by His Holy Church and Brother Gregory, including services, counseling, lectures, books, and other audio materials, please write to His Church at Summer Lake, Box 10, Summer Lake, Oregon, 97640. You can also find us on the web at www.hisholychurch.net. Welcome to Keys of the Kingdom. I'm Brother Gregory, and uh, we're going to be talking about the kingdom of God, which is at hand. Okay, anyway, people are having difficulty in seeing reality as it really is, and how uh, the truth 
uh, about themselves and their surroundings and the world around them. And the reason they don't want to see the truth is because the truth hurts. I mean, we, we say these things, we have these little sayings, the truth hurts. Uh, and the fact is, it hurts so much sometimes that we avoid it like the plague. We don't want to see it, so we turn up the music, uh, we get, uh, we drink, we, uh, we chew tobacco, we smoke, uh, we take drugs, uh, uh, we party, we, uh, we do all kinds of things to avoid seeing and feeling the experience of the truth. Emotionally, we become traumatized by the truth. We don't want to see the truth. Maybe it's about this or that. And other things, we will see the truth about, you know, like Joe's problems. It's easy to see Joe's problems. You know, Joe, Steve, they all have problems. We can look at their problems. We just don't want to look at our own problems because that's when we start feeling pain. And we don't want to feel that pain. We want to be in denial of that truth about ourselves. Well, it's the truth about ourselves that sets us free. You know, and somebody wrote on one of the groups that it's it's not the Jews, it's not the Jesuits, it's not the uh, 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 butchers and the bakers and the candlestick makers. He didn't write all that, but he mentioned the bankers and the bakers. <laughs> uh, but maybe it is the candlestick makers. I don't know. But the reality is, is that it's it isn't those things. It's us. We are the enemy. And the greatest enemy we have is our unwillingness to see the truth. And to see the truth about ourselves, we must forgive others. That's actually an essential part of seeing the truth about ourselves. We must forgive others. When people are mean to you, wicked, spiteful, want to force you to contribute to their cause, want to force you to think like they think, want to force you to, you know, pay their tribute, whether it's to, you know, a dog license or a driver's license or a license to get married or a license to do all these different things, and you don't want to do it because it irks you that they're exercising such authority. It is essential for you To release you to forgive them because they know not what they do. Because when you forgive them, then that breaks. See, you're, they're going over the cliff. They're going to swim over the cliff in this raging rapid of, of control that has taken possession of the world. And is holding it bondage in a psychosis of self-destruction. And if you resent them, that ties you to them. That, that connects you to them. And that connection will draw you into their destruction. Remember, psychosis is the mental disorder in which thought and emotions are so impaired that Contact is lost with an external reality, and that is usually because there is a contact or connection to that emotional thought, that those emotions and thought that is impairing everybody else. You are going to be tossed to and fro by the waves that toss them to and fro because you're connected to them by resentment. 
you forgive them, that that's the end of that conflict. It breaks that connection. But to test your forgiveness, did you really forgive them? Then give to them. Oh, I couldn't give to them. They they were so cruel. They made me so mad. I can't give to them. But you see, that's the test. You haven't really forgiven them. They know not what they do because you wouldn't give to them. You see, so when you pay your taxes, do it freely, openly, honestly. Don't cheat. Pay those taxes. And and then you know, and you can do this with a light heart. Then, you know you've forgiven. Now, that doesn't mean that's the end of it. Now you need to strive for righteousness. Because it's not just being friends with the unrighteous mammon, which is what Christ said. This unrighteous mammon, that's the unrighteous trust in wealth where everybody has pooled all their possessions and all their rights into a common purse of Sodom and Gomorrah. And now they're under the tribute and and they are bound in that system. Okay, you want to be free of that you have to seek righteousness in everything you do. And and that means that you have to, you know, and Jesus gives us parables, you know, about the guy who, you know, says you owe me this much and you run after him and you give him that. You know, and you give him whatever he, you know, I mean, obviously, you know, every bum says, you know, I want your coat. You don't have to give it to him. Uh, But, you have to be friends with the unrighteous mammon. And this is easier if you have a forgiving heart and you're willing to forgive them and realize that they don't know what they're doing and you're forgiving them for not entirely unselfish reasons because you know that you cannot be forgiven unless you forgive them. Forgive us as we forgive others. Leave judgment to God. This this is really the key to freedom. This is the key to liberty under God. Is forgiving and giving. There is there is no no other way but Christ's way of forgiving and giving. And I, I created a web page uh on at preparing you forgive them. And it goes through the Luke twenty three thirty four, which we've mentioned before. Then said Jesus, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And they parted his raiments and cast lots. And there's a whole reason why the, you know, what raiment were they parting? And what were they casting lots of? And that's a very interesting story in itself. But the focus here is forgive them. They know not what they do. And some people are saying, no, it, it actually says, because they look at they look at an interlinear translation and they read, Jesus said, Father, forgive them not, for they know what they do. And it's very clear in Greek syntax that you would not, the word for, which is gar, uh, is never uh, the first word in, in a, a phrase like that. So, they put the word not first. 
And so the not has to do with that second phrase, for they know not. It does not have to do with, you know, Jesus said, for, uh, Father, forgive them. Uh, it doesn't refer to that. It would not be in that location. And that is consistent in Greek almost everywhere you look in Greek. It would be absolutely completely out of the normal syntax order of Greek uh, language to have that not referring to Father forgive them, not. It actually refers to for they know not. That's the way it would be written. But anyway, we not only showed that in the article, but we also quoted the other uh, places in the Bible where Peter and Paul also talked about the fact that they didn't know what they were doing. And they were calling them to repentance because they didn't know what they were doing. Repent ye therefore and be converted that your sins may be blotted out when the time of refreshing shall come from the presence of the Lord. And he shall send Jesus Christ which before was preached unto you. He's, he talks about the fact that they... they uh, did this in their ignorance back in Acts three seventeen, and now, brethren, I wot that thou uh, that through ignorance ye did it, as did also your rulers through ignorance. So he's saying they didn't knew not what they're doing. So it is absolutely consistent that he said, "Forgive them; they know not what they do." It is consistent with what you see showing up in other places in the Bible in Acts six seven and etc. And it go, we go through it in the article. And I, there actually is several other places I could quote uh, that I have not yet included in that. But it, then that article goes into uh, forgiveness works. Uh, forgiveness is a very powerful tool in seeking freedom as a people, as a nation, and certainly as an individual. Uh your quest for freedom should never be from the viewpoint of personal freedom alone. Now, I, I, I gave a pause there before I said alone. Because it is a personal walk. But it's it's never for your personal freedom. You must care about the freedom of others as much as you care about your own. Or you will not be free, and it, that's just part of the equation. I mean, if you if you don't include that in the equation, you're not going to get the right answer. You have to care about your neighbor's freedom as much as you care about your own, even if your neighbor's a jerk. You want him to be free. Now, you don't want him to usurp that freedom. I mean, obviously, if he doesn't repent, he should not be free. You pray that he repents. And you try to make it easy for him to repent, the same as you would want somebody to make it easier for you to repent. In other words, you're not going to drive him away. So, again, back to the psychosis. They say the worst thing to do is to attack their delusion. People are all getting ready to go out and vote for a new president of the United States. And there's the same kind of elections going on in many other countries. 
And that's a delusion to think that that's going to work. And so I shouldn't be out there always saying, you know, you're stupid for voting. You know, if it really made a difference, they wouldn't let you do it and all those kinds of things. Because I'm attacking them, actually, by making a statement like that. If they wish to vote, let them vote. If they wish to campaign, let them campaign. If they wish to support Donald Trump or even Hillary or or uh, Bernie, let them do that. Your focus needs to be seeking the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And that looks like what Christ did. And what Christ did was come to serve and to lay down his life for others. Now, how you do that, that's your going to be your free choice. That's between you and God. I don't, I don't know how you're going to do that. You know, are you going to work in shelters? Are you going to work in uh, uh, community kitchens? Are you going to go out and pick up trash on the side of the road? Everybody, you know, you could get all get his church t-shirts with the website on it. And you go out there as a team and just adopt a highway. You know, this highway is adopted by the people at his church. <laughs> Whatever. And you go out and pick up trash. Put it in bags. You know, wear those little uh, fluorescent vests and stuff. And go out there and pick up trash and, and clean up the highway. It's your way of contributing back to society. And uh, that would be good. It's your choice how you want to do it. But you should do it together. Because it always was, I mean, the church was working as a unit, as a body. Congregations did things together. They weren't necessarily corporate. They were still free will assemblies. But when they came together, they did the dance of Christ, which was a dance of giving and forgiving. And this alters your consciousness. To do this, especially consistently, religiously. We use that word religiously as if you do something over and over again. And of course, religion is the fulfillment of your duty to God and your fellow man. And that means that if your fellow man needs somebody to come by and give him food because he's all crippled up. If you decide, well, I'm only going to do this for a couple of weeks and then I'm going to take off for a couple of weeks, then he starves during those couple of weeks. <laughs> so you have to, and of course, you can't do these things every day yourself. One of the things about starting a program, which we would call visitors, where you your congregation goes to a convalescent home or a couple of them, and you find people to visit there. And you go in and you take notes about that individual that you're visiting. You find out that he's really interested in baseball. Well, then you find somebody in the congregation who can talk baseball. Now, baseball would be, you know, the conversations about baseball is the avenue to building trust and communion with that individual. And then you can bring up, well, what about your family? What about, you know, you find out where his kids are estranged from him or... You know, he hadn't talked to his wife or his children or his grandchildren in years. And you try to get them to come back together. Why? So that he can learn to forgive. So that they can learn to forgive one another. Because that that forgiveness requires sacrifice of ego and willingness to receive the pain of facing up to what you've done wrong. And then you can be healed Because you're facing the truth and the truth is what sets you free from 
the hidden cause of your pain. You can actually cure people you know, or allow the people to be cured if you remove those things, those emotions and thoughts that are impairing your ability to see reality can also impair your ability to heal yourself, your body to heal yourself. They are obstacles, stumbling blocks of recompense. So it's very important that you face these things to overcome these things. To to perceive these things as they really are. Um, and And, you know, so... That's that's what it's all about. Facing the truth and the reality for yourself and for others. You, When you're going through this journey of seeking the kingdom of God and His righteousness, uh, you have to be thinking in terms of righteousness in in a general sort of way you again you don't when we the word another word for righteousness is justification well none of us are justified there's no work we can do to save ourselves we cannot justify our salvation we don't deserve salvation you don't even want to pray for justice people say well i do, i want to pray for justice for that guy so that he's brought to justice because he's such a bad guy. You don't want to be praying for that. You want to be praying for mercy for that guy because as you pray, so shall it be prayed for you. As you judge, so shall it be judged for you. You want mercy for him because you want mercy for you. (laughs) You don't need mercy. You don't need justice. Justice, you're dead. You don't deserve life. You don't deserve freedom. You deserve to be under tribute. You've been slothful in the ways of righteousness. So don't pray for justice against this guy or that guy. Pray for mercy. Pray that he seek forgiveness. Pray that he seek repentance. Bless him. Leave judgment to God. Let God put the pressure on him. Now, of course, now I'm always beating you up. I'm always scolding people. Uh, but I, I'm not doing it to be malicious. I'm trying to encourage you to turn around and seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Now, how do you do that in practical ways? You know, I, I had a number of notes uh for the radio show, and I came across an article that was talked to, talking about Dr. Richard Levine, who's a man, a man who identifies as a woman in Pennsylvania, and he's the new physician general there in Pennsylvania. Uh, and, and I, I'm, you know, a lot of times they say she is the new. No, it's he. <laughs> you know, I can I'm, I'm not going to become a part of their psychosis. Uh, but you can humor them if you want. But the important thing is the fact that they they don't want to deal with reality, and they can't. You know, I mean, there was there was somebody else. Uh, the president appointed uh, supposedly I, I don't know what the real name is, but uh, Barbara Satin, and uh, that's uh, you know uh, 
pointing them to the Faith-Based Neighborhood Partnership. And they're part of the National LGBTQ Task Force. And this is somebody who can't deal with the reality of the fact that they're a guy. That they, they have lost contact with the external reality that they're a guy. They're uncomfortable with the reality that they're a guy. That's, that is the definition of psychosis. And so they're, he's appointing psychotics, because somebody who has a psychosis is a psychotic, to these, these positions of faith-based neighborhood partnership. Uh, you know, at least on the advisory council. Because, you know, and it's the whole idea of gay marriage is everything. The reason marriage, the marriage is originally matrimony, marriage, whatever you want to call it, the union of a man and a woman, is originally a God institution. It's, it's created in nature. I mean, geese know that. <laughs> and they are united in this union of male and female for the purposes of what? Laying eggs that are fertile and produce more geese. It is evolution, the propagation of the species. A man laying with another man is not natural. It does not propagate the species. It is it is against evolution. And it would evolve out of existence. But it doesn't it's not a part of the evolutionary process. It's a part of a degenerative process where you lose the image of yourself as you really are. You're no longer comfortable with the reality of who and what you are. And so therefore you imagine, because of this mental block, that you're something else. And, and you can't help it. You're turned over to that. Again, back to Romans one twenty six, And for this cause. And then, you know, so in one of the last shows I went back and we read, for what cause? What What's he talking about? How did you get to this cause? For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the judge, the, the just, shall live by faith. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who told the, who hold the truth in unrighteousness. And the truth is, if you produce it, it should belong to you until you choose to release it. Socialism doesn't believe in that. Socialism believes that you have the right to take away from those who produce to give to those who don't produce by force. Until John the Baptist, everybody thought that it was okay to create the utopia of earth by force, by socialism. But John the Baptist said, no, you do it by faith, hope, and charity. That's reality of what John the Baptist said. If you have extra, you choose to give it. You're not forced to give it by men who call themselves benefactors but exercise authority. Christ said the same thing. 
that you're not a Christian. You cannot be, if a Christian is a follower of Christ, you cannot claim to be a follower of Christ if you want to force your neighbor to contribute to your welfare or anybody else's welfare. That is anti-Christ. But yet, our churches today are filled with socialists. And because that cause, because they don't want to live by faith, they want to live by force, they will be given over to these vile and unnatural affections. They will pervert the natural use of male and female so it no longer is fruitful. It no longer produces fruit. And they can't help it. They cannot change being gay until they stop coveting their neighbor's goods and seek the righteousness of God, which means to provide for their neighbor's true needs through faith, hope, and charity. Because until they do that, they will not be free of that which they have been given over to. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of man who hold the truth in unrighteousness. Because that which may be known of God is manifest in them. For God hath showed it unto them. For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen being understood by the things that are made even his eternal power of Godhead so that they are without excuse. The creation of the world, the institution of the constitutional order or system of government of man. That's what that's actually saying there in the Greek. That you've you've created uh, everywhere in the world. You've created these socialist nations. Even somebody said uh, had a statistics like I don't remember how many it was. Like sixty countries don't have any taxes, but they do. They're just they're a different kind of tax. They they uh, nationalize the oil. They nationalize the mineral deposits of the country. So all that you know, the nationalize the diamonds of the. Whatever, and all that goes to pay for government services. But that's a tax upon the land. And therefore a tax upon the people who are to hold dominion over the land. So there's no escape. You're either operating by faith, hope, and charity or not. You're either seeking the kingdom of God or not. We'll talk more about this when we come back. So welcome back. So we're talking about the reality of forgiveness. That if you really forgive, then you can give. You can be generous. You can be sacrificing yourself for others. Even though they hate you and despise you. And of course that's what Christ did. That is the Christ. That is the anointing of God. That God gives life to both good and evil. 
people. Not to, he doesn't give life to the evil. You give life to the evil when you deny the good. Evil is darkness. It is what occurs when you block out the light. And when you block out the light, you are simply, that's part of your psychosis. You don't want to see the truth about the reality around you, whether it's the economy and Federal Reserve System. What happened in 1929, and we talked about this before, but uh, in the first part of this uh, two hours, in 1929, they ran out of assets to collateralize. And the money dried up. So they needed to add new collateral to the agreement. Hence, the Social Security Act. That when you waived a right to a portion of your labor, not with a guarantee that it would only be 20%, like it was in the bondage of Egypt, but whatever they decided you added new collateral to the Federal Reserve. Now they could loan money in your name and now you're in debt. This is why you can't just leave the system because you have to pay the debt. Now Christ died as a ransom for the debt before. Now who's going to die for you? The fact is that Christ hasn't collected his debt. But you have to decide what part of the equation you're going to be on. Are you going to be on Christ's side of the equation? Or you can just imagine that you're going to be on Christ's side. You're going to say, Lord, Lord, but not do the things that he said. No, you have to follow him to be a real Christian. To follow him, you have to forgive and give and lay down your life and sacrifice yourself for others. It's not that your sacrifice pays the debt. It can't. But it is evidence that you have let Christ's spirit into you if you live by say if you're just interested in being comfortable, if you just want a religion that makes you it tells you over and over again, you're saved, you're saved, you're saved, you're saved, nothing you have to do, you're saved, you believe in Jesus, you're saved, but you don't have to actually repent and be saved. You don't have to change your thinking. You can still be just as covetous as everybody else of your neighbor's goods. Send your kids to public school. Put your parents on Social Security. Go yourself on Social Security, knowing that the system is bankrupt. You say, what I paid in. Well, forgive them. They knew not what they did, and they spent your money. It's gone. It's not there anymore. They're operating in the red, not in the black. There is no reserve fund. It's gone. They are borrowing against your children's future with every dime they give you. That's reality. You know, you don't want to see that reality. That's your psychosis. You want to believe that you can collect that with impunity. Go ahead. Now, is the sin collecting it? Or the sin not admitting it. I mean, like, what was the sin of Adam and Eve? They, yeah, we see one sin. They disobeyed. They ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. But what was the other sin? They denied it. They did not accept the blame. Isn't that sin too? Yes. Isn't that what you're doing? First, you have to admit you did wrong. You're doing wrong. You're not seeking... Because if you don't admit it, how can you seek the righteousness? So once you start seeking the righteousness, you may still need that system. But you need to be building a system 
based on the righteousness of Christ. A daily ministration based on the righteousness of Christ. And you don't need a specific kind of bum. You can pick any bum. You want to help them in a righteous way. You want to strengthen them. But you need to be doing charitable things. You need to be setting that way of thinking up front in your choices on a daily basis. That is religion. That is worship. To sacrifice and love your neighbor as yourself. That is worship because that is fulfilling your duty to God and your fellow man. That is pure religion. And unless your church is practicing pure religion, it's not the religion of Jesus Christ. You're still a worker of iniquity. Do you want to go that way? Second Timothy 4.3 For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lust shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. You are wasting time. You need to come together and begin to give of yourself on a regular basis not to make your preachers rich and live in $10 million houses but to be like the widow who gives what she has. And because of that much will be given unto her. And you will need much to survive the days ahead. We're off We've we've gone crazy. We're off our rockers. We're psychotic. We are not seeing reality. You cannot be a Christian and and not follow the ways of Christ. The definition of a Christian is someone who is following the ways of Christ. So you have to forgive them. They know not what they do. You have to love your neighbor as yourself. That's what you have to do. Now, there's another topic that we're going to be bringing up here. And we won't have time to get into it very far in this particular show. Uh, but it's something I've been working on actually for years. Uh, there was an article written, or actually a booklet written called Permanency of Marriage. It was written by uh, uh, Pastor Paul, uh, who uh, uh, ran the Embassy of Heaven Church. And I knew him for years and years. And... Uh, and, and his, you know, I believe in the permanency of marriage, but he took the doctrine and became very pharisaical about it in the book. I don't know where he's at about it right now, but uh, uh, the reality is, is I wrote a permanency uh, of marriage article, um, actually countering much of what he said in that book. And uh, we're making that available and uh been learning how to code it in so that uh you can take the PHP code and put it right over into any website uh but we have links back to our other websites into into the preparing you website but uh in the introduction to his book it states I cannot tell you how the holy spirit will direct you I only know it will always be consistent with the word of god but uniquely patterned for you. Now, it will be consistent 
with God. But the people were taking the interpretations in that book and not being righteous. They they were being pharisaical. And uh, like I said, we won't have time to go through it all, but I, I will probably uh, start producing a show that will be dealing with that permanency of marriage, which is... Marriage was an institution of God. Now, the state has taken it over, and we've talked about the history of that. It was actually uh, uh, Marie Antoinette's brother who uh, started turning uh, marriage away from the province of the church uh, into the province of the state. Now, originally, even the Catholic Church still says this, because it stems back into ancient canon law, even before the Catholic Church, that the church is not a party to the marriage. The, per, the church is providing clerical, clerk-type uh, notification to the congregation to as a herald uh, of the kings, which is every man and every woman, that this these two people are now married. That's what it's doing. It's making a record. It's the clerks of the kingdom. They're making a record. Now, you, of course, make a record in your personal family Bible your personal family documents, you exchange vows between yourself, but you begin to externally present yourself to the world as man and wife, husband and wife. And know that you're joined together by this commitment to God to be husband and wife. That's, that's basically the concept of this union of man and woman in what God has joined together, no more twain, but one flesh, and let no man take them apart. Now, the fact that you go out and get a marriage license uh, with the state, the state is a party, and it's a three-party contract, but it doesn't mean you're not married. It is still marriage. You, you, it is tainted with the state being a party to the contract, yes, but it is still marriage before God. And to tell you the truth... Most of the people I see out there in the world today should probably go get a marriage license. Because they don't have the personal fortitude and spiritual drive to stay married without the state standing over them. And, and you know how you can tell this? Because they don't have the personal spiritual integrity to create a daily ministration to take care of the needy of their society by faith, hope, and charity. If they don't have that, if they're not, if they're not congregating together to take care of the true needy of their personal society, their congregation and assemblies of congregations and conventions of congregations, if they do not have the personal integrity, Christ-like integrity of sacrificing for one another to provide for them in true need, with a daily ministration for, you know, the widows and orphans and anybody who doesn't have the resources to get by. They need help. Those who have, share with those that don't have enough. If they're not doing that, they probably need a marriage license from the state. Because they don't have the moral character of Christ. And I wouldn't give my daughter over to somebody who didn't have the moral character of Christ without having some strings attached to their union. <laughs> Uh, they but I'm not telling people I'm not advising people one way or the other 
I'm just looking at reality. It's telling you something. If someone does not have the moral character to provide for the needy of their society, then they probably don't have the moral character to stay married to the same woman or man. Now, how do you know who will have that and who won't? I don't know. But I I am certainly not going to go through the world advising people not to get a marriage license. I tell you what a marriage license is. And I'm also telling you why most of you probably need it. Because you you have not yet repented. And you have not been, certainly have not been seeking the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And the evidence of that is that you do not congregate together in free assemblies to provide a daily ministration through faith. You know, the just shall live by faith, from faith to faith. Faith, hope, hope that somebody will provide for you because you don't have a guarantee. It's not an entitlement program. And charity, that it's freely given. If you don't have such daily ministrations in your congregation and network of congregations, then you do not deserve to be free. And you probably need a marriage license. And you probably need to pay your your dog licenses and your car licenses and all those other licenses. But now, if you were to actually repent and seek the kingdom of God and His righteousness and start gathering together in the name of Christ, in the name of John the Baptist, in the ways that they were teaching, then we'll we'll talk about freedom. Because we know you're on the way. And we will pray that God runs out and meets you and sets you free. But the truth is you're too selfish to be free now. And until you repent of that selfish thinking, that unforgiveness, that ungiving thinking, you should not be free. So anyway, the permanency of marriage, it goes through uh, a lot of... uh, you know, uh, different uh, false justification, false fruits. Uh, you know, that's one thing. You know, gay marriage, there is no fruit. You know, they have to they have to adopt because <laughs> they don't produce fruit. Uh, it, it's it's unnatural, and it's 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 not fruitful for society, and so therefore it should not have any extra things. But we get into a lot of different things in the article, and actually, it's, it's not really completely finished. Although we do have a conclusion at the bottom, uh, it has probably over fifty footnotes uh, and other articles that it will lead to. Uh, but it's uh, it's stepping in a particular direction and perception of things, and showing you how your kind of pharisaical dogmatic approach to bits and pieces of the Bible can bring about unrighteousness. And so it's it's kind of a good study in the doctrines of Christ and the false doctrines and how easy it is to produce them. Because you know, Christ is pretty general about seeking the kingdom of God rather than the kingdoms of man for your salvation. You're seeking the kingdom of God for your salvation. And the righteousness of God. And it's not righteous to covet your neighbor's goods. It's not righteous to force your neighbor to contribute to your welfare. 
It's not righteous to do no more ought for your parents and say, well, I, I pay into Social Security. They should just collect Social Security. And how many people do less for their parents because their parents can collect Social Security? Now, how do you wean people off of that? How do you get them away from that addiction to aid from men who call themselves benefactors who exercise authority? That doesn't just happen overnight. You have to move in that direction. And I had conversations this week with uh, pastors uh, concerning um, uh, what what can you do? Especially if you have families. You know, I've seen where families are picking pastors that are, you know, a thousand or two thousand miles away. They should try to gather together locally. And that's why we create these geographical uh, Google groups. So that you're picking people within your local geographical area. You can fellowship with people a long ways away. You can still call pastors that are maybe, uh, you know, halfway around the world and ask their advice. But you should be congregating as close as possible locally. And, and investing in the charity of one another. Not necessarily to one another, but, you know, if you have two or three successful families, maybe they don't need any help. They should somehow either work together to help others. And, and you know, it doesn't mean you start a food kitchen. You find a food kitchen, you go work at that. You find a shelter, you go work at that. You you do the visiting things. You go to a convalescent home. But you team up. Like I said, you know, you go there and you find out this guy likes baseball. And then you find somebody in your congregation that can talk baseball. And but he also keep notes about who's this family and who's his members and who, you know, some of his problems in the past. And you share them at your congregational meetings so that if you can't make it one week, somebody can take your place. You see, because then you make yourselves a team, a team working together to care for one another, not for what you personally can receive and the gratification you personally receive but because you're starting to work as a body, as a unit. And you're choosing to do this on a daily basis instead of choosing to be slothful in the ways of Christ. And that will begin to open up you to the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven is a realm, uh, but it's also a way and the way of Christ draws you closer to the realm we call heaven. And the ways of Satan, covetousness, selfishness, greed, avarice, those draw you to the kingdom of hell, which is a realm. And there's a spirit that lives in one realm, and there's a spirit that lives in the other realm. And as you're drawn towards the spirit of heaven, you are awakened to the visions of heaven and the old men shall dream dreams and the young men shall see visions or vice versa. The point is, is that they're going to be awakened spiritually. And a new energy will flow through them and flow through their family and flow through their community. So, and it's very important that we do not become too localized, but by the same token, it's important that we don't go shopping abroad for a congregation we can stomach because we need to be able to forgive those that are nearby and work with those that are nearby. But what are some of the things that you can do as this free assembly? Well, 
you know, I gave an example, like, people are paying a lot of taxes. Rich people don't pay as much taxes as they probably theoretically ought to or like we imagine they do. A lot of them do pay a lot of taxes. But they're, you know, they talk about loopholes. They get lawyers and they get, they create trusts and they, they do all kinds of things so that when they die, their, what they, their wealth goes on to their children. Today, with inheritance taxes, a lot of people, if they don't prepare for their death when they die, their family is hit with a very high inheritance tax and the kids get very little. And so they have to start from scratch. Now, starting from scratch isn't all that bad because sometimes it makes them stronger and sometimes to leave a lot of wealth to them is not a good thing. But in this day and age, with the middle class disappearing rapidly, to take precautions to pass something on to your children besides wisdom and and work ethic is a worthwhile pursuit. So, do you go out and hire a lawyer and pay him twenty thousand, fifty thousand dollars to set up a family trust to help protect the assets of the family, so that the family can become dependent upon itself rather than dependent upon the government? Well, you could do that. But if you got together as a congregation and you talk these things over with a multitude of counselors and maybe even get together and say, what's the best way to do this? And maybe get together with several other congregations for maybe a few hundred dollars. You guys could put together a plan, a few hundred dollars a piece, that would normally cost each of you thousands of dollars and pursue that. Uh, custody of children. If you were to die in an automobile accident, you should all have your children christened in the church with documents, not just, you know, baptized in such and such a day, but documents to say, in the case of my death, these people are to have adoption rights of my children and to raise my children in the ways of Christ. And if they're not available, arbitration of this agreement is to be done by the church. So the church finds, you know, if for some reason you're all in an automobile accident at the same time, the church gets to specify who can adopt those children. Because as it stands right now, the state will decide. If you want to leave it to them, that's fine. Because they're already geared up. They already have you geared up to decide who's going to get your children. Maybe this gay couple over here. If you don't make provisions, the state will make provisions for you. If you want to continue to be slothful in the ways of providing for your family, go right ahead and do it. But if these are the things that congregations should be getting together doing it. And one of the reasons you do it locally is because a lot of these things are regulated by state laws. So you want to have a congregation in the state you are in. If that's not possible, okay. But you should focus on trying to make that happen. And finding more and more people in your local congregation. I know somebody who actually is, you know, fighting to keep roads open. Because there's a lot of governments trying to close roads and access to wilderness areas and everything. So he's fighting and fighting a valiant fight to do so. But he's doing it for people who are not seeking the kingdom of God. They're, they're, they're sending their kids to public schools. They're depending upon social security for their parents. They're depending upon government benefits for themselves. They have no daily administration. And he's trying to have them so they have some place to drive their four wheeler on the weekends. Better to focus 
on those people seeking the righteousness of God. And that's where we need to go. And until next time, peace on your house. And may God be with you. God bless. have been listening to The Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. For more information on the educational ministry provided by His Holy Church and Brother Gregory, including services, counseling, lectures, books, and other audio materials, please write to His Church at Summer Lake, Box 10, Summer Lake, Oregon, 97640. You can also find us on the web at www.hisholychurch.net.